Everybody needs just the right amount of fuel to get going in the morning. For some, a nice McDonald's egg and cheese bagel is just enough to do it. Others might prefer a McDonald's bacon egg and cheese bagel. Or perhaps a sausage egg and cheese bagel. And there are those where nothing will do but a hearty McDonald's steak egg and cheese bagel. Four different breakfast bagels to get you going. Tomorrow morning, give your engine a head start at participating McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again to the AFA podcast, the official podcast for animationforadults.com. My name is Rachel. I'm going to be your host today once again. And joining me today, we have Yvonne, the lovely Yvonne from Animation Nights New York, joining us. Yes. Hello. 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 And today we actually have a a special guest with us today to talk about the uh, film that we'll be discussing for today's episode. And that is... Mosley and here to talk with us about this really charming little film is the writer and director himself Kirby Atkins. Hello thanks for having (laughs) me and I'm a big fan of the podcast so. Thank you thank you so much. Oh my goodness um yeah so we're really excited to talk about this film since it's um we originally um you reached out to us uh not long after uh Yvonne and I came together for talking about the film and our uh, after the uh, New York Film Festival where we, we talked about a couple of short films, but we also discussed, you know, this movie. And not long after I saw that email that you sent us and saying, hey, thanks for talking about the movie. And uh, I'd love to come on the episode. And we were like, really? We'd love to have you. And so, yeah, here we are. We're going to um, go into a bit more de- in depth with the movie and, uh, Talk about, you know, how the, the production process went and um, how now it's uh, people are getting a chance to see it and love it. And I know I certainly do three times watching it. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time coming. So it's been uh, and we finished. Oh, my gosh, about a year and a half ago. So mm-hmm. it's just bizarre. Uh, the and surreal finishing something like that. And then that gap that exists between I've worked on films to where you uh, animated films to where you finish them. And then literally a week later, it's out in the cinema. And mm-hmm. after that weekend, you know whether it did well or not. And it's over. It's just over that fast. This has been a completely different experience to where it's been the slow burn as it, the film kind of creeps into the consciousness of folks uh, little by little, festival by festival. So mm-hmm. Right. And the development has been quite a long, windy, interesting road. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Um, I did some research uh, before this podcast, but I, it began uh, as a short film. I'd love to know a little bit more about uh, Beast of Burden, I think it was the original yep. title, and how that came together and, uh, and, then, and then how it developed and how, you know, how, how it emerged as a, as a feature. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, uh, and it, it's, it is a bizarre story in the sense that I did everything that you're not supposed to do as a storyteller <laughs> and, this, and that you're, you're never, particularly in, in filmmaking and Hollywood, you're never supposed to just put, well, what do they say? You're, uh, if you're never supposed to invest your money into your own money <laughs> into the thing, right? And you're never uh, supposed yeah. to 
Yeah, right. All these sort of things. Or the wear all whole, the hats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the uh, uh, Roger Williams thing with the Thief and the Cobbler. Yeah. And, right. Oh boy. And uh, then then there's the stories with Orson Welles after the films that he tried to create and and sort of burned himself out on uh, and because you know you work on something a long time and nothing is coming of it except your own enjoyment of it and you go through all these bizarre doubts because you're like is this who am I doing this for you know and that was definitely uh, because over the years of of doing this there were so many bizarre ups and downs and sometimes the ups were completely subjective. I would do something and I'd go, this is great, I'm loving this, but I'm thinking nobody else even cares that this exists, you know? So it's just all the doubts that I think a creative person goes through mm -hmm. when they're making their stuff, right? It's just, yep. uh, it's, it's such a bipolar experience, right? Mm -hmm. But it, uh, yeah, so it began, oddly, it, it began oddly enough uh, when my daughter was born uh, back in 1997, uh, I was working at Will Vinton Studios, which I don't know. Uh, Portland? It's, it's, it's Leica now, yeah. And uh, But it used to be Will Vinton Studios. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was there doing the M&M commercials. Uh, that was my job, is to make M&Ms and stuff. But, <laughs> I, but the thing is, is that and CG was sort of new at that point, and mm -hmm. uh, people were sort of figuring out what it could do. And I just remember thinking that there's a feeling that I always wanted in an animated movie that I wasn't getting. Either things were too, either everything was skewed to adults or to art house kind of stuff, or it was skewed toward uh, kids and it was a musical or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I just remember, I remember that there were certain films that had a feeling to them uh, that and they sometimes they were family films, not always, but sometimes they were family films. But I would call them family films with teeth. Mm -hmm. that they, <laughs> yeah, that, that they weren't that they were about big issues like life and death, and you felt like there were stakes, and you felt like people could get hurt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't it wasn't afraid to let you get scared, and right. the highs the lows could be really low for the characters, so that the highs could be really high. It was real contrasty in that regard. I mean, some of you guys probably remember these some of these films, and not all of them were animation. But like, uh, I was a kid, and there was the uh, you remember the Never Ending Story? Sure. It has, yes. And it had, you know, it hasn't aged well, but uh, but there was a there's a scene in that film where this horse is in the swamp. You guys oh right, yeah, it's sinking into the swamp. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, yeah I remember watching that as a kid. I was devastated when that happened. And I was like, I was like, holy crap, I know this is a family film, but I I'm just moved. I'm it, it marked me, right? I mean, there's 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 films that mark you like that. Yeah, and, well, the original Pinocchio is like a I mean, there are some real horror movies or yeah. horror moments in that movie. And um it reminds me like Ed Hooks, who we've had on before, is like oh, yeah. always goes around the um, world saying, like, don't be afraid to scare children. <laughs> no. Like most, of the Don Bluth, <laughs> most of the Don Bluth movies I grew up watching too. Like if we're talking like kids' movies were family films with teeth, like yeah. <laughs> if you look at the cats in American Tale or the action sequence in um Land Before Time where they're being chased by the, the T-Rex, like 
I've gone back and I've looked at some of those films still gets me still like I'm like okay the trauma's still there (laughs) and I don't know why it is because when these films find us uh and there's a, there there are some that are being made still. There's a there's something a while back called When a Monster Calls. I don't know if you've seen that one. Uh, uh, so continue. Yeah, where we all uh, it's the director who did. Uh, it's the director who did the re the actually the most recent Jurassic Park film. They also did uh, that one about the tsunami. Anyway. Any, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but whatever. It's it's they still make these films. But when you these films find you, particularly when you're young. Uh, and my, I, I was, I was nine years old and my mother committed suicide when I was nine years old. Right. And so I was just, I, I was living with this sort of, with grief and uh, in that, and when you're a kid and you're living with this kind of grief and then you're watching a lot of cable TV and movies are coming on, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are movies that stick with you and they're generally, sometimes they're not the movies that, are being celebrated, but there's this obscure film or something and it, you just see a scene in it and you, you're like going and back in the day before internet and all that, you're not even sure what the name of the movie was. You're like, right. there's this movie I saw one time and there was a scene and these things mark you. Right. And so I was, so I was going, that's the, that's the sort of animated film I always wished somebody would make just so I could watch it. And uh, I just thought I'll just, make it myself right and I and I could draw and I was storyboarding and I just actually started storyboarding before I even was writing a script because it was all of, really yeah I I hadn't had the, I did I knew what the story was and I was seeing images in my head and the the best way that I could articulate us I, I, that I suppose was just to draw I wanted to see the movie right mm-hmm mm-hmm and I, so I just started storyboarding it and editing it together just because I, I felt like I could feel what should happen next better than if it was on a page. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you don't know, you, you know, you're describing things, but you're not necessarily seeing things. And so I started, I started just storyboarding it. Now, the initial concept, now here's a wacky thing, is that the initial concept of it was you know, about the uprights and all these other sorts of things Mm -hmm. came from a a thing that I noticed as a kid, which is that in the Disney universe Mm -hmm. uh, of their cartoons, you have Mickey Mouse, right? And he's got a mortgage and a car and he lives in this neighborhood and his best friend lives down the street and that's Goofy. And he also has a mortgage and a car, but then Mickey Mouse also has a pet also a dog right right Mm -hmm. so i was like what tragic thing happened to pluto that he didn't get to evolve like goofy right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now this is a stupid thing to think about right but this is but this is what if you're in animation you think about this stuff right no, exactly. I think a lot of people have been who've been at least in that curious and you know looking into the Disney canon, they've I think they've even made jokes about it. Um with like I've seen they've they've poked fun at that in the uh the most recent iteration of the DuckTales cartoon. Oh they like, did. Okay, good. I'm they glad did. There's, a, there's, a, there's a fantastic scene in the very beginning of the first episode, which you can see on YouTube, um, where you where you're they're kind of it's like an opening shot where you see like a seagull flying into what's you know gonna be the main setting of the show and it 
starts landing on all these boats and you see other bird like you know the characters are birds because like it's not like it's it's duckburg like they're all duck people and they're just shooing away this 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 seagull and it's just like but did, they, the did, did, did they acknowledge it in the story that it, that they were both birds or did they I think it was more of a visual joke because this okay. is a, the the show is a comedy first and foremost but it's I think that you could tell that the creators were being a bit tongue in cheek okay, there in terms right. of visual comedy but no in terms of actually exploring that hasn't been done yet yeah, well, yeah it is it is interesting it's kind of like you know like seeing you know new york city pigeons um picking at a you know a box of discarded chicken you're That's like right. there's <laughs> like there's a sense of something wrong deeply wrong and a little unjust yeah. <laughs> and um that's sort of the <laughs> the flows through and um yeah that's fascinating well that's we did we even did that at, at the studio we were doing these m m commercials and we did one where m ms are eating m ms and you're like right cannibalism yeah yeah that was the that was the basic idea is i felt like there was this tragic story mm -hmm. that could be told off of yeah. why and this goes into just flip the perspective of, yeah and it's suddenly and it, a whole different tale <laughs> exactly and evolution and devolution right mm -hmm. and how tragic how sad it would be to not be able to evolve as far as your heart was meant to go right mm -hmm. so that if you were pluto how would you be looking longingly at something as simple as hands, right? Mm -hmm. Just as simple as having hands, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that was the germ of the idea that gave me what I felt like was that uber contrasty story of, of joy and sorrow that is uh, Mosley. So it, mm -hmm. it, and, and it, and it had to do with basically what if you found out that you were you were meant to be one thing but you tragically turned out to be something else mm -hmm. and uh and how do you recover that you know so that was the germ of the idea and then it took years uh to i mean years for for that to uh you know, solidify into the story that eventually became the film, so. Mm -hmm. So Beast of Burden, was that a portion of the feature? Um, was the, out of curiosity, or was it structured? Um, how was it structured? What were the differences, if it's possible to answer that question? Yeah, no, it, it, it's as simple as the fact that the it was, this mostly was the film itself, the feature, was called Beast of Burden until okay. very uh, until the last few months of production, gotcha. where, where we were dealing with our distributor, and they this was literally their I don't I don't disagree with them either, uh, but their reasoning was you don't want a title of a film that has the word burden in it. It sounds like mm. a downer. sounds like a downer from the beginning, and uh, and so I was like, okay, well. But for me, the title Beast of Burden was about, I mean, he literally is a beast of burden, mm -hmm. uh, but also that there's this sort of almost spiritual burden uh, that, you know, he's going through. But, but yeah, I, I eventually was like, well, why don't we just call it Mosley? Because that's, mm -hmm. that's what it's about. And, and uh, that really is the only difference. It was, we have posters where okay. there actually is even a little bit of merchandise uh, that was created uh, in New Zealand, uh, where the film was still called Beast of Burden. So, 
So those, okay. those will be collector's items. <laughs> there is, yes. yeah, it's weird. There's, there was, a, there's like a children's. There was, we actually sold some merch in New Zealand, so there's plushies and things like that that exist. Oh yeah, I would get a root plushie. That, that's that. I, I, I got so one here. I'll show it to you here in just a second. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, it, 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 so it. Uh, uh, so then, I guess over the next several years, I was, I was finding the story and this is a luxurious way to tell a story if you've got time mm -hmm. it's like crock pot cooking right uh you, you you could just let it sit and 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 let it cook and i've been i was writing scripts for other for other films i was writing right. films for uh my big thing that i sold was to robert de niro and these are films that never got made that got mm -hmm. chewed up in in the development process, but you get still get paid for it, right? So it, it but whatever the case, I was, uh, I was doing that. And then my daughter was six and I was at the point in the boarding process where I felt like I had the wind. I felt like I, I had a hand, something was working in the, in the film, even at that, yeah, you guys know how it is. If something plays in an animatic and it's moving and it's working, it's really only that the images get more sophisticated when you go to mm -hmm. film, but that it has to work in animatic. It has to play in the animatic. And I felt like it was, of course, there was no audience for it except myself and my, and, and my girl mm -hmm. who was Leah, who was yeah. sick. So I was drawing all, I was drawing these, drawing these characters continually. As soon as she was aware of anything, she was aware of the fact that, these creatures, this was like <laughs> Mickey Mouse to her world, right? Because she's living in our house and there's these these drawings everywhere of these creatures, these Thorfins. And uh, so she draws them too. And so she's in, she's in my office drawing and she's playing out the story because she knows the story backwards and forwards. And I thought at one point I need to get some voices. I need to lay down some tracks for some voices. So why don't I just... Uh, get a microphone and get on our on the floor on our hands and knees. We'll just play out a couple of scenes and I'll just use that. And the thing about it, which was great, was that she knew the story. So she would stick to the story, but she would also <laughs> improv. Right. It's awesome. <laughs> so she, it was, so I, it was not like I had to get her like, you know, the, when you read stories to kids, they want the story to always be the same. And yet they always love the asides, right? And mm -hmm. uh, she would make up stuff. And yet it, it was never sort of hijacking the story. She always wanted it to get back to the story, right? Mm -hmm. So I listened to this audio, I recorded us and I started putting that into the animatic. And that's when everything started to really take off. I was like, holy crap, just the relationship between his father and his son and and the story suddenly became this it really began to gel it really began to work wow. so much to the point that when there was finally fine just jumping 20 years later when there was finally financing for this film uh it was mainly one because that worked and nobody questioned that that and nobody wanted to screw with that they were like wow. that that completely works and we, there was lots of talk about replacing me for playing Mosley, but there was no talk about replacing <laughs> my daughter for, uh, for Rue 
because it was such a dynamic, beautiful, unhindered, unself-aware uh, performance by a kid. He was just playing, not acting. His kid actors can be the worst. Uh, yeah, it sounds like she was kind of one of the secret ingredients. The I, I would say in the so. Soup. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's living storytelling right there. That's like fantastic. Wasn't yeah, the best stuff. I mean, you guys have seen, uh, you know, Thumper and Bambi. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm sure that was scripted, but there was just all the little, you could feel the yeah. soft palate and the tongue. You could hear it all. This kid's, the kid's face and a kid's mouth. Mm -hmm. and and the hesitations and everything being very natural right the old peanuts cartoons the kids doing those instead of adults acting like kids mm -hmm. it's always it's always a better and more honest performance but the thing is leah had no idea she was doing this for anybody but me <laughs> and so she wasn't self-aware or embarrassed and she just yeah. could let it rip and it was fantastic yeah the honestly the voice acting is um i mean throughout the film is is fantastic you know it you know really is is great and um I, you know i want to ask you about the um animation as well um how because it's i mean it, character or animal creature animation is such a challenge you know and, mm -hmm. um, and I can imagine that being um, quite an obstacle <laughs> uh, you know something like this would be very difficult to make just because um, you know the weight of the creatures there's so you know so much action that whole segment with you know uh, you know, Rue versus the the water bucket. Yeah, Rue versus the water bucket, <laughs> I was just gonna say. It's such an important moment in the movie. It's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a stopping or it's kind of a resting place, you know, before mm -hmm. the action ramps up again. Um, you know, and if that hadn't, in those uh, very special important hero moments, uh, if, the, if the weight of the creature animation had been off, I mean, Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, 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 it is. And our animation director was Manuel Aparicio, who mm -hmm. came uh, from Disney. And he uh, there was a lot of people who uh, came aboard the project. Uh, Kathy Toon was my editor from she came from Pixar. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Morgan Loomis was our uh, character supervisor who handled the rigging of these characters. Uh, who was responsible for a lot of what you're talking about as far as the weight and the feel of, of how muscles move under the skin and all this yeah. other kind of stuff. And all these folks came from jobs that they were getting paid very well for. Mm -hmm. and, but they came on Mosley because they thought that it was something different and they wanted to be involved. But yeah, it, the, the design was my own in the sense that I've been drawing these things forever. And it's, there's something about an elephant an elephant's physicality that is uh that just reeks of nobility i don't know what it is mm -hmm. but there's something about elephants that, that we just feel this nobility that's in that's with an elephant uh design wise the 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 trunk is always a problem and uh so if you look at like Ice Age or, or a film where you have a mammoth and he's got the, they always have to do a three quarter so you can see the mouth, right? Right. Mm -hmm. but that trunk is just always in the way. And so I wanted, I wanted Thorfinn's to feel familiar. I didn't want them to feel like strange animals 
like some Star Wars animal or something. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to feel like you could see one grazing in a field and you and you might look twice, but you wouldn't look more than twice because mm. it, it, it would it feels like something you would see something that would be familiar. Uh, the, the just it's so the, the elephant body is very much a part of what a thorfinn is, and yet the face is. I've heard some people say that it's goat like or something. There's something that's melancholy about the a donkey and melancholy, uh, you know, Eeyore, and right. and, and, and it's, it's definitely is that sort of a thing. And so it was combining a lot of different pieces of creatures that I've seen before so that I would get the nobility and then I would get the sense of melancholy. And really that was, those were the factors as I was looking for a feeling of nobility and melancholy. And, and then, uh, but then the weight is distributed differently because elephants have huge heads. Right. And so there's a bit of a slope to their back. And so I evened that out because now we don't have the, without the trunk and the tusks and all that other kind of thing, suddenly the weight has to be distributed differently. Mm -hmm. Elephants, here's a weird fact. I didn't know this until I, we started animating. Is elephant, I was looking for a run cycle for an elephant and elephants don't run. That's so right. I, Not you know, really. They charge, <laughs> but like you don't see them go faster than like a trot. Well, yeah, they that's walk really fast. They walk yeah. fast what they do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, yeah. yeah, creature animation is so fascinating. Um, like the amount of reference that you take in in order to sort of put together a creature. I don't, I think um, at a animation mentor, um, I think I did more drawing than I ever had in my life, like doing thumbnails of, <laughs> of yeah. like, you know, from, from a creature or from animal reference is very, very fun. Um, been fascinating, fascinating. Uh, but I thought, you know, the reference I kept thinking of, uh, um, not direct, direct reference, but an animal I kept thinking of uh, to compare it to the Thorfinn's uh, was the hippo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they actually, they run, I think they, they hit like 30 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, I, I think of, really uh, elephant and rhinos have that same. Rhinos, yeah. yeah. Rhino. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, for sure. And I don't know if rhinos, <laughs> I don't know if all of that is pachyderm. I don't know what qualifies a pachyderm. Yeah, I don't, my knowledge is limited, yeah. but um, that's, that's wild. Well, I mean, another thing that's just a great contrast um, is, you know, there's, they're so massive and powerful and, uh, and could kill the, the humans who are, uh, yeah, uh, their masters basically. Um, but there, but there's also a sensitivity to them too. I think that's something else that I, I think would really go to the designs. It's, it's like you said, melancholy, but also like in almost like in conjunction with that, there's a sensitivity. Exactly, and and this is what I think is also wonderful about elephants is that as big mm -hmm. as they are, and if you go to the zoo, you notice this when they step, it's you don't hear it it makes no sound, you know? So as large an animal as that is, their steps are very soft and, and I'm almost, there's almost a delicate quality to as large an animal in your right. If, if the animal turned on you, it, it could, it's going to give you some trouble, but there's an inerrant sort of gentleness that is, that is there. You don't want to screw with it. Right. Uh, but, but there's a gentleness there. And so 
obviously with Thorfinn's, you want to feel like there's this, uh, particularly with the bent back ones, mm -hmm. is that you want to feel that there's this untapped uh, potential uh, to fight for oneself, I suppose, or to, uh, and, and there's no doubt that Mosley, uh, the thing that there's the, the thing that we ran into and, and you talk about reference in the last fight that happens with Warfield, the hunter and Mosley, a mm -hmm. lot of reference that we looked at was uh, cowboys wrestling steers down. Right. Oh, wow. Cause if, if you, in rodeos and stuff, cause if you look at it, it's uh, it's this gigantic animal. Right. But how, how is it that this cowboy can take this steer down? because there's no doubt who has got the more, more power. And the difference yeah. is, is hands and, and the ability to manipulate things with those hands, whether it's a tool or grabbing, uh, grabbing something or doing, and, and suddenly th the weaker character has dominance over the stronger one for just that, for posture and hands. And so that ended up becoming a sort of a motif for the whole film. Mm. Is, is the fact that this hands gives you power to control your destiny and, and control your world, right? Or it, the lack of them means that you can be manipulate, manipulated by the people who do have them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's this subtle stuff, you guys, if you've seen the beginning of the movie that- Well, yeah. At the beginning. been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Well, that's the thing. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil any. I'm sort of hesitant to like <laughs> dive in too much. We should. Don't spoil it. been good so far, yeah. But, uh, but I mean, there's an in uh, there's an we've we talked about this before. We talked about this in the last podcast. Rachel and I did. Uh, but you know, there's a auction block in the beginning, and and um, obviously. Uh, you know, this very clear reference to uh, slave trade. Um, yep. and, uh, the auctioneers, the Southern accent, um, some of the, the, um, you know, comments, uh, you know, they talk about Mosley coming on. Oh, he's very articulate. Yeah. Uh, he's, you know, strong as an animal, but, you know, but you can, you can count on him like a man and uh, it's gut wrenching, you know, to, uh, watch, to watch this happen. Um, and it, you know, it just, the, the darkness is there in the, uh, of the, of the uh, story is there in the very beginning. And it's, really, oh, yeah. it just rips your heart out. And um, it's like, this is what we're dealing with. <laughs> the mom, the mom um, crying on the auction block gets me every time. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> and um, yeah. And, you know, and that's, you, so could you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Is that sure. um, always, uh, yeah. How, how, how did well, that come to be? Because it's one thing to have um, sort of a story from a different perspective and then you really dive in and kind of explore um, the cruelty of human beings. 
yeah. and um, the, the sort of position of hierarchy that can form and how uh, the person in position of power can take advantage. And obviously we have a long history of this in the United States, <laughs> yep. mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah, and they do everywhere, and they did in New Zealand with the Maoris That's and right. all that kind of stuff. Yes, and so it's it's certainly uh, just dramatically speaking, I'll say that I wanted to start the film out in a way that you knew that that we weren't screwing around with that. Mm -hmm. This was that the stakes were high. I wanted everybody to know what the stakes were uh, immediately, and uh, that were that is that we weren't going to be silly about it or we weren't going to be flipping about it mm -hmm. and uh but absolutely there one of the is oddly enough one of the people who was first interested in mosley uh uh was uh lavar burton you know who lavar burton is yes he was uh of course he's everybody pretty much knows him from star trek but he was yeah. in uh, roots he was that's right uh, he played kutikente in roots and he was attracted to the story for obvious reasons because this is the uh, African-American experience is that you were kings in one world and you're treated like shit in another world, you know, mm -hmm. and, and part of uh, being emancipated from that is just reminding yourself where you came from, who you are, that you have dignity and all these other sorts of things. And I didn't disagree with that interpretation of it. And yet I also had to be careful because uh I'm a white guy, right? And, you know, so, and I, I'm a white male. What do I got to complain about in regard to oppression? And you want to hear these kinds of stories, usually without a mediator. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't, actually, that wasn't ever my purpose. It, it, this is sort of, it's, it reminds me of uh, a lot of the uh, critiques that were coming to Tolkien after he finished Lord of the Rings back in the 50s and 60s, when it was started getting read, uh, people were saying the ring represents uh, the nuclear age or the ring represents uh, the H-bomb, whatever. Huh. And, and Tolkien hated uh, metaphor. He hated it. He, he said, this is, that's, a, that's an application and it, it works. But the, the, what's beautiful about fairy tales is that they only mean they're they're about themselves the ring is the ring that's mm -hmm. the ring is about the ring and you can see the ring is like the like the atomic bomb and you're right the ring is like the atomic bomb but the ring is not the ring doesn't represent the atomic bomb the ring can represent anything and mm -hmm. and that's what fables and fairy tales are great at is that everybody kind of reads their own life or their they can read they can read something uber personal into the story and people do, right? People do with Lord of the Rings. They, it becomes a metaphor for their own personal journey to become a CPA or whatever, you know, it can become as mundane as that, or it could be about global social issues, right? Mm -hmm. Fairy tales are wonderful like this. Uh, and fairy, fairy tales are the only sort of story that do this. If you think about all the president's men, that film, Mm -hmm. that film is what that film is about as wonderful as it is. And I love that movie, but it's not, it means it's, it's only what it's about, but a fairy tale can be about many things. It, it goes through the filter of the person watching it and the person watching it turns it into a personal uh, uh, metaphor for themselves or into what they notice in society or these other sorts of things. Mm -hmm. so, so when I wrote it and when I was putting it together, it, 
I, it was obvious that there were going to be some slavery sure. overtones to it. And, and yet I didn't want to get tangled up in, and I wanted it just to be a story. I just wanted it to be a story. And then it could be as significant or not as anybody wanted to make it, you know. Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, were... it's not the art's fault that life imitates art. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and that, and that is, no, I think that's completely right. And, and, that, and in that regard, we can be uh, sort of trapped by the interpretation of anything mm -hmm. uh, in art. And, but there's no doubt that I, just talking in mega themes, yeah. The, the idea is about that you, that people and particularly human beings are, are, have the potential to be horrible to each other, mm -hmm. just absolutely horrible to each other. Or, uh, and that there is such a thing as reminding yourself who you are, where you came from, that you have dignity, you deserve respect. And you're, and then when you get power, you don't do what, uh, you don't, you don't treat people like you were treated. You do it differently, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, there is a thing. And again, we don't want to, I don't want to spoil the movie or anything, but <laughs> when the, when the tables are turned and the power is on the other end, uh, mostly is, doesn't do as was done to him. That's right. And, and there's a, that grace and that strength and that nobility is what shines through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and maybe it's, uh, you know, well, you know, you think to yourself, like, you know, might be the journey that the hero's journey that um, is a result of this. Right? Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, you know, to have power over some, something that you've purchased <laughs> um, well, is a little different. <laughs> there's this, and, this is um, an animation, but there's, you guys are aware of that film, Joy, the, uh, about the, the mop the lady who made the mop, Jennifer Lawrence is in it. Oh, I have not seen that. That's on my, that's on my list. It's uh, not animation, yeah. but I don't know why we always yeah, have, yeah. we don't, I, I, I find the best references for animation are not animation, right? Right. Sure. Yep, no, Theater, that's true. Theater is really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and when, when animation gets self-referential, I think we end up just copying each other, but we, yeah. we draw life. So there's well, this, the characters there's, start looking the same. Exactly. Yeah. There's this moment in that film, Joy, to where you, the whole movie's about her struggle just to get her product out there and just how people betray her and people treat her like shit. And she finally gets to be in that place of authority. And as soon as she's in that place of authority and there's and and somebody comes to her for something, she's very intentional about I am going to not do as other people did to me, I'm going to mm. do differently. I, I, and, this, mm -hmm. and there were, it just, uh, just floored me when I saw that. And I, I, we want our heroes to be that way. We want, we do, we don't, I don't like, I don't like it when the villain gets his nose rubbed in it. I like it when right. the heroes, when the heroes conquer, they don't conquer like the villains conquer, right? They, they're, there's something that we want people, we want our heroes to be better than our villains, not just the same. It's not about power. It's right. About what yeah. You do with it. 
you know. Right, because it, it boils down to that whole thing where like the, you know, villains don't know that they're villains in the story and it's sort of, it to your, like first thing we talked about that sort of shift in perspective <laughs> of the characters to see things from the villain's perspective, you know, they're just troubled and broken yes. and, you know, think they're doing the best that they can given their circumstances. Exactly. When, you know, maybe, you know, you pan or zoom out of the situation and uh you know well, and they are the villain <laughs> exactly. well, then there's two villains in mosley and they're very different there's simon mm -hmm. yeah. who is very much i don't know if you guys caught on to this and i don't want to screw it film up for anybody but there there's a secret past we want simon is pissed off and we don't know necessarily why mm -hmm. and, uh, but there are clues throughout the movie mm -hmm. uh, why he what he that he suffered a trauma that isn't explicitly stated, but there are clues. There are clues to why he is the way he is. Yeah, I can the say what if, if you want me to. So we, we should like yes, have a sort of spoiler section. Um, yeah. But, but uh, sort of in the yeah that uh, Rue sees later on, sort of glimpses it, later on. Exactly. Yeah. So so I, I like the idea that there's this character that he's Dickensian in the sense that he. Uh, you feel like he's he's pissed because he's wounded, right? But then you have Warfield, who is more of a force of nature. He's just mm -hmm. he's just uh, he he is just the cruelty of the world out there to screw you over, and mm -hmm. that is is sort of law. He doesn't really have a soul to lose, uh, whereas Simon has lost his soul and feels the lack of it. Uh, Warfield has no soul, and he's just out there in the world. Uh, uh, dominating and consuming, and, uh, right. and 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 so those are very two yeah, different. Lacks empathy, kind of lacks empathy. Whereas Simon has those moments of pause that really shine through in the acting and voiceover. Oh, they can, did, yeah, yeah. That you can tell in the in the very beginning that there's something there, and you wonder how what's going to emerge as the story progresses. It's in, um, it's interesting too, getting back to animation on that thing that you're just that you're talking about, Yvonne, is the is there were moments uh, in animation, I feel like we can, because we have to reverse engineer everything. Because mm -hmm. uh, if you're shooting a live action film, you got the camera on an actor and he can make this spontaneous choice with his face, right? To dart his eyes or to do a thing, to pause. And it's a spontaneous decision that that actor makes that can change the whole tone of the scene, right? And you're just like, wow, just look at what that actor did just to add a subtext to this thing. In animation, we don't <laughs> have the spontaneous things that can happen in front of the camera. Everything's right. planned, everything. Mm -hmm. And so you have to ahead of time go, you know what would be great is at, on this shot, we see pause or a second thought or something in this character. And it's not gonna be related in the dialogue. It's gonna be something you see. And as you're going through the production process, you might write it in the script and you might storyboard it as much as you can, mm -hmm. but you're really not going to see that moment until you get into animation, into the animation mm -hmm. part and you get the little things in the face that, that tell the audience he's thinking twice about that thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that's where the, yeah, animators get to put their acting shoes uh, and hats on and, and, and have their, their marks 
<laughs> and Absolutely. their moment to really shine and, and uh, yeah, be creative. I love that. <laughs> and we had we had a ton of opportunities for those moments, and but we had to leave room for them because, like I said, in, in uh, usually feature animation, you want to overwrite everything or or cut because it feels like, at least in the animatic, it feels like you're lingering too long on the shot and you want to hurry and don't and you want to we're nervous when we edit of animated films we tend to be overly we want to make things hurry along and don't have room for these moments to breathe and and yeah there's so the cinematography was terrific in this film as well all these sort of long shots uh of you know of the scenery of the um the bad guys um you know it, it felt like um you know, it had elements of the of really terrific live action cinematography as well, um, which, you know, definitely, you know, added to the whole feel of the film. Um, yeah. Well, that was Marcus, <laughs> Marcus Christensen, who was our uh, in charge of layout staging and cinematography. Wonderful. And he, we wanted it to feel, uh, there were moments where we were very deliberately wanting to not have it feel like an animated film and by that I don't mean that that if it were animated it were bad I mean that in animation we tend to we tend to fall into certain habits uh that aren't necessarily good for the story mm -hmm. uh, and like a long like a like a shot that won't cut that you just 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 sit the camera here and let things happen because right. that has its own sort of drama to it or uh, or lingering a little bit after after something's happened. And uh, those moments were something we, like the last fight, I wanted the fight, the last fight in the film to feel like a freaking fight mm -hmm. where you get hurt and you would, you'd forget, they didn't use cartoon physics or anything that you, you felt like, uh, you, I mean, you guys know, like in the, again, this isn't referencing animation, but uh, you know, in the when Rage of the Lost Ark came out, oh yeah, nineteen what was it eighty or whatever, yeah, and and the difference between that film and the last one that they made uh, with the Indiana Jones is like one of them feels like a cartoon. It felt like nobody could really get hurt in this world, mm -hmm. but that first one you felt like every hit hurt, you know, yeah, and, and I wanted somehow for us to feel like. And it was, it, you know, mostly gets hurt at, at the end, at, toward the oh, end. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. That, like, the next about, one will mm -hmm. end you. Or is <laughs> I was about to it say something. I had to bite my tongue. Spoilers, like, don't I say know, it. I know, there's spoilers I could say, but the, I, I, I wanted it. I wanted, there's not really blood in the film. Right. But there's no, but you feel it. You feel it though. <laughs> the animation really sells it. Let me tell you. I wanted a hit to feel like a hit for sure. I wanted, I wanted it to, I wanted there to be, and it was fun. I got to tell you, it was fun in the cinema in Brisbane where I saw it. Uh, only time I've seen it in the cinema. Uh, I knew this moment was coming and I was in, I was in the back watching it. And I'd love to see everybody's shoulders jump when, when those hits happen because you, you you were working for that moment for three years and you don't know if it's going to work until you get an audience in there and then when it works you're like oh it worked <laughs> yeah it's like you're quietly in the back going yes it's so relieved <laughs> it. and nailed it that that's going to work <laughs> <laughs> so in this film so it, i read that this is the first new zealand uh in chinese uh 
production, is that right? Yep. And you have you're uh, you were also a character animator at Weta Digital. Yes. Is that a connect? Is that the it connection? That, where do you live now? <laughs> what <laughs> are you stateside or are you that's, in the United that's States? A, that's, a good, that's a very good question. <laughs> I'm Curious. currently in Carmel, California. Okay. And I am uh, I am working on IP development at Brazen Animation Studios, right? Which is based out of Dallas. But yes, I was I my I was working at Weta, uh, and uh, my family and I I worked on the BFG. I worked on hey. uh, <laughs> yeah, just a lot of films there, and it it's just great. I mean, uh, New Zealand is a great place to make movies because it's the cinema culture there is so unpretentious and friendly and they haven't, it's young. And in that regard, it's just people, it just collaborating with people out there is a joy. It really is. And you're, and I don't, I know in Los Angeles, you just, it's just a truism that you just, that there's so much ego and all this other kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but New Zealand's a great place to, to, to work. And so I was at Weta and trying to work with the New Zealand Film Commission on this uh, co-production. And uh, and so we became permanent residents because I, in order for it to be a, co a New Zealand production, I had to be a Kiwi director, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but I they kept me employed there at Weta long enough to where I could get my permanent residency. And suddenly I qualified to make and direct this film in New Zealand. And uh, they wanted to do a co, the film commission and China Film Group wanted to do a co-production, but they didn't have a movie. And so it was really a business opportunity looking for a movie. And they asked the wrong guy. Cause I'm like, not all, I had the whole movie cut at that point. You know, I had basically, I, I didn't hand over. I don't think they ever read a script. I think I, I just gave them the animatic and uh, wow. And so they could just watch the movie. And there were, in that regard, it was, it was a $20 million movie, which is just not much money at all for an animator. Wow. But I wanted to make sure that all the coin was gonna be on the screen. And, uh, and so in a lot of ways, we got to skip a whole lot of pre-production because I had done it myself. And so we just rolled right into production, right? I, done all the character design work already. I had storyboarded everything. Uh, That's great. The thing, the thing that changed uh, was that when we cast all our celebrity casting, our Kiwis, which are John Reese davies from, Yes. He's amazing. And, Incredible. Uh, Reese Darby, yes. Wallace, what? Lucy Wallace, right? I know. And okay. Tamir Morrison, who's of course Boba Fett and, and he's got this great voice and everything. Uh, suddenly when those people were cast and film commission wanted all Kiwis, if we could do it. And, uh, and I didn't know, I was like, well, who, who is a Kiwi? And I wasn't sure who, I mean, who are the Kiwis out there that, mm -hmm. that are actors that you, and I didn't know. I mean, I, I'd heard of Lucy Lawless. Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard of Reese Darby. And, uh, but then I, I saw Flight of the Concourse like, oh, he's that guy in Flight of the Concourse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Let's get him, right? And then so to have him as a contrast to John Rhys Davies, who's this classically trained actor, yeah. old Vic, I, Claudius, all these other mm -hmm. sorts of things he's done. 
And uh, to get those two together was a joy. And they then, worked off each other really well in the yeah. film, for sure. Yeah, they were great because they because they were so different. I mean, and just sonically, John Reese is way <laughs> down here, and Reese Darby's way up there. So sonically, they were just interesting. Which I think, if you go back to the old Disney Robin Hood, which I think is oh. the best voice acted animated film ever, mm-hmm. uh, this the contrast of the voices is just so fantastic, and so. I was really lucky that both John Reese Davies is Welsh, but he uh, lives in New Zealand now. So he qualified to be a Kiwi and in the cast. And uh, then it was, they were looking to replace me as Mosley uh, with, uh, oh, who's the guy? He was in Lord of the Rings too. But, but we ended up, oddly enough, we were going to be distributed by Weinstein Company uh, early oh. on uh, before mm. all that all that all that went to hell right mm-hmm. uh, but i think it was harvey weinstein i think it was harvey weinstein that i was told that was listening to watching the animatic and said uh what who's this guy doing mosley and it's like well that's the kid's father it's like well let's not mess with that let's keep that that's working so huh. i i got to stay mosley i didn't uh i was looking to recast uh because i didn't want to do but that ended up working too because then I they could have unlimited callbacks with me and they didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> oh, wow, that's something else. So anyway, I mean it's it's been a it's been a blast and the film is finally uh getting seen. We were at Ottawa, we were at Annecy, uh you know, it's uh, I, we're finally picked up North American distribution. I can't say anything about that just yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, it's it's been this movie's been creeping around the world, and and it's it's been a joy to find people who connect with it. I tell you, it's it's been a real joy. So that's that's, that's the icing on the cake, if you will. The bit it's really cool i mean personally speaking i really like i really admire folks who uh who put in that level of work to you know regardless you know, regardless of time to you know see a project through to completion but then getting to share that with other people is like the icing on the cake oh. like it's just like so like this is something that you made this is has a part of yourself in it and clearly <laughs> i mean this is you this is you and your daughter this is you and her playing together and now you have those memories to share. That's was, that's amazing. I was too attached <laughs> to it. And, and again, so this good. I did this is not career advice for anybody. You would never <laughs> you would never tell anybody to cast your little kid and yourself in a $20 million movie that you're gonna make in New Zealand. That's just not career <laughs> advice. <laughs> like you said, like you said in uh, the video you shared with us, it's it it literally was lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it and it it was it was one of those it was one of those happy accidents that you know particularly because it did all start to gel together when my daughter and I I did the performances and all I and I kind of knew if I could just get somebody with money to sit down and watch this they'll give me their money I just I just feel like they will I just the the challenge is just going to be to get that person to sit down. Mm-hmm. and watch it you know and mm-hmm. but i feel like if they do that it's sort of undeniable that it works 
And so there's that, there was some confidence in that, mm. but you know, you guys know, you have friends I'm sure who are uber talented and ought to be superstars and it just doesn't ever come together for some reason. And so I, I don't necessarily, this is the anti uh, motivational speaker kind of speech, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You can work hard and have loads of talent and it's still the universe just doesn't give you the thing that you ought to have. And so I, I've, just feel lucky that it just because I this could have just been a lark and just been a a a wonderful thing to share with just a very small group of people uh but it turned out that I mean maybe it still is only being shared with a small group of people (laughs) (laughs) with our current distribution and stuff but uh but it but it got to it worked out and so I feel I just feel there's there's nothing hard work and talent it's all good, but then it's still a gamble because you don't know if it's going to, if it, it, if it will find its way in the world. And so I'm just grateful for as much as Mosley has found, the film has found its way in the world. I'm just incredibly grateful, you know, so. Well, Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's an, an important uh, movie because it, it tackles really heavy duty um, topics and um, you know, in a way that's also family friendly and to do both of those things. I mean, there aren't a lot of films that do that. Um, we talked about this before in the last podcast or the last podcast when we discussed Mosley, uh, but, you know, to have something that, you know, you can sit down and watch with the whole family that is, you know, entertaining and has, you know, action and humor and, and uh, you know, just really very touching moments and um and then also deals with uh, important subject matter i mean you don't that it's rare it's rare to to find something like that um so yes yeah, stuff that is relevant not just to children but also to the parents as well because that's something yeah. i love the one of the films that we do talk about um on this podcast and on the website is finding those things that can appeal to the whole audience like this right. and i think i talked with um uh in my recording with glenn keen as well mm-hmm. that's just the idea that um you know lane and also what you were saying too uh kirby is the idea that you can everyone who sits down and watches the story can take something from it they put a little bit of themselves into the story and if a really good story a really good film allows you to kind of take that a little bit of that story with you when you're finished watching it right and yeah and the the best films you know that are the best films for kids usually are really great for the parents as well you know Mm -hmm. right so exactly and and you just get so sick of seeing um films that you know look like they were you know built by boardroom (laughs) or something and um, so it's just you know and on top of it all like the animation is is great those most important moments have really solid animation uh you know creature animation then the voice acting and the in the uh and acting and animation is is really you know it really hits the right uh um beats and, and moments as well so it's 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 an incredible accomplishment. I mean, I know it took a, a team and you know many many years, and it was winding path. But um, um, I think, you know, I think the path 
I think it's got a, now a path of its own. I, I think it will do well. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it, guys. I'm telling you, it, uh, like I said, it, uh, it, as creative folks, you know what it's like. You're basically serving up your soul on a plate to somebody. <laughs> and, it's, and, it, uh, and usually animated films are more corporate endeavors, right? And, mm -hmm. and they have to manufacture artificially uh, some personal emotional delivery thing uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, not not all the time like you, I love Brad Bird and I love sure. uh, Pete Doctor and these guys who use this gigantic production machine to uh, communicate something very personal and well it, those it, I mean you, you were talking before about how uh, in this process as um, even though you <laughs> you don't recommend your own process, but that um, it did give you an opportunity, right, to really focus on, spend time on the elements that were most important, right, create these long pauses, really develop characters, right, and, and that's one thing that, you know, there are some, some animation studios out there that, that actually they have, they've carved out that time, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. and so, and, you know, uh, and Pixar is one of those, uh, yeah, they just, where they yeah, can just Pixar develop story. It has to be, it has to be something you very deliberately go for because yeah. the machinery of production. You fight for, yeah. <laughs> the machinery of production, particularly in animation, can chew, can make everything taste the same. And <laughs> you have to, you have to really work hard to, and I was lucky in the sense that, uh, that I didn't, I had, I had some challenges that, that I had to deal with, with uh, too many cooks at times, uh, mm. but, but the thing, but some, but, and at times you feel like you're trying to get a baby out of a burning building, right? Uh, that you, that you don't want the process to chew up the thing that you, you know that this moment is important and yet the rest of production mm. and the producers don't necessarily see it as important, but you're like going, this one thing is going to make make people feel something, and we and you got to fight for that thing, mm -hmm. and, uh, because making things flashy and pretty is what giant companies do well. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the personal aspect of it that, as a writer and a director, those are the things you generally have to fight for because those are the things that are lost first. I think. Right. No, it's true, and there's you know it happens with short film as well. I mean, there are countless you know, really beautiful looking, um, poorly animated shorts with no story and, you know. Yeah. And it's it always breaks my heart a little bit because there's so much energy and time goes into these things. And it's almost like, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like you could see, you know what happened. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. when you, and this is why I think Brad Bird uh, and the, the Incredibles, particularly the first one works so well is that it, it wasn't a movie about superheroes. It was about, a, think about it, it's an animated family feature about a midlife crisis. Right. That's Basically, it's yeah. It's, yeah. About a, it's about a man who thinks his prime is gone and he doesn't know how to get it back. And it's using superheroes as a vehicle to communicate that. Mm -hmm. It's not about superheroes. It's superheroes is just the, the means to an end. And the end is what Brad Bird is communicating about the insecurities about becoming a middle-aged person. Mm -hmm. That's what he's communicating to you. Now, how does that become a family movie? Well, it does and it works and it works and it only works because it would have just been 
more noise and more superheroes. And it, without, if you took that out of it, right. mm-hmm. that part out of it, you wouldn't have the Incredibles anymore. You'd have just another yeah. superhero movie. You know? Or another princess film where the you know, whole, st- I mean, we said something similar about uh, Mosley as well. It's, you know, instead of having, you know, there are people that try to sort of inject uh, this like, idea of like, you can be all you want to be. And then it's wrapped in this like pretty little bow and has fairy dust on it. And, you know, but the actual message is so watered down that you, you there's like nothing there to really grasp and relate to, you know? It's yeah, like it's like a package. It's yeah. like that was an afterthought as opposed right. to the core of the entire story. The, yeah, the kernel is not there. And whereas with Mosley, it's, uh, you know, the, you know, driving force is this, you know, message of, you know, uh, you know, there's something noble inside of you, <laughs> or, whatever. or there's something, or, or you know, what I first thought was, you know, it's almost like you know this idea of keeping the torch burning for humanity, except that in this case, you know, someone dropped the torch, not- went out, it was lost, it gathered dust, and then was found and had to be ignited. And they're like, "What's this?" Oh, well, then you learn the backstory, and then you pass the torch. I heard. I heard you say I heard you say that exact thing in your review that you did, and I played it for my wife, and and we were talking about that 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 was your we I I remember you saying that, and and, and it, it stuck with me, and I, I thought I've thought about it a lot, and I've thought about what's the difference between something that's motivational and it gets turned into a candy ass dimpled kind of moral. Mm-hmm. as opposed to having having something feel a little bit more genuine and I, I was trying to figure that out myself and I the only thing I get I could think of because I thought that was a great comment and it did make me think about things uh is that and I won't be too spoilerific here but you guys <laughs> there's something about a happy ending that when audiences go into a movie particularly if it's, if it's not a Coen Brothers film, if it's an animated film or something, mm-hmm. they're expecting a happy ending. Mm-hmm. They expect, they, they're just waiting for you. They're just watching and say, when does it start? When does it happen? You know, they're, they, and so the, a trick is to how do you, because I like happy endings and I like, I like when you walk out of a movie and you just feel, you feel like you're seeing the world differently because this movie tweaked your sense of reality especially in a positive way. I mean, that's, that's, Oh yeah. That's great. But how do you keep that from getting sentimental or stupid or whatever? And in mostly the only thing I could think of, and it was deliberate and you guys know the fate of Turpin and I won't get into it uh, Mm. in the film. And he's been waiting for these uprights all his life. And, uh, and he's, we don't, he's, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the thing that I, I thought that, that makes the happy ending poignant is that you don't, you feel like, you feel like when a happy, when a miracle, if a miracle happens, the very definition of miracle means it doesn't happen much. Mm. It's miraculous. Exactly. It, it maybe even shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. And, and I think that's what, anytime a happy ending occurs, I feel like you I, I wanted Mosley's fate to feel like it could have gone another way, right? But it didn't, and we and so it makes you grateful, and it also makes you cautious because you realize that not everybody gets a happy ending, and some yeah. people, some people who deserve a happy ending don't get it, 
Mm-hmm. I wanted Mosley, the world of Mosley to feel like there are some people in this world who needed it just as much, mm-hmm. but didn't get it necessarily. Right. Or more, you know what or, I mean? Exactly. Like, you know, because the hero in this story is a reluctant one. You exactly. Know? He, you know, if it wasn't for the people directly affecting him around him, Exactly, exactly. You know, you know, he would have lived and died and really no, know nothing better. Whereas you have someone like Turpin, you know. If you think about it, it's- He's too- the artist. He's the artist whose film never got made. <laughs> that's, exactly right. that's exactly right. And I, that, that's, what, that's when you feel, that's when you feel gratitude for, mm-hmm. for good things when they happen is you feel gratitude because you know they didn't have to happen. And, uh, and I wanted the world of Mosley to feel like miracles happen every day. I don't want it to, no, miracles don't happen every day. <laughs> but when they, but when, that's why when they do happen, you, in a very cautious way, you, you hug it and you hold on to it because you know it didn't have, it didn't have to go that way. And so I, you give that world to kids too. Sure. Well, that's why, I mean, some of the really powerful animated films for kids and um, Pixar, Disney has done this a lot, where you start with a loss. And um, it's like, this is like, this is the world. And then, you know, then you, it's where you start. (laughs) Shit shit will happen to you and you you will get hurt. What are you going to, what are you going to do with it? Is the question. And it's like, you be, you, you, and this is the, I think the thing that happens is that if you're mistreated, it's, it's weird, but it, it's better to be mistreated than to mistreat somebody. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I agree with that. Or it, it, yeah, wake up as the villain and say, uh, you know, oh, I didn't realize what I was doing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, it, it's better. It's better. And in that regard, you see that in hard times, how do you, how do you hold on? to what is noble about you in mm-hmm. hard times. And then when times are good, do you exploit other people because things are yeah. going well for you or do you? And so I think giving that world to kids to where you go, this is the world and anything can happen. Anything can happen. The real drama hap- happens in the choices that you make. Uh, th- this horrible thing happened to you, what are you gonna do about it? Or this great thing happened to you how could you turn that into a manipulative tool again? It's, it's all about the inner man in that regard, but that the world is a scary place. I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to communicate the world as it actually is to kids and families and to everybody. And then have the message be uh, the real drama happens in what you do with these circumstances as they come to you. Exactly. And And so in that regard, in, in regard to, your review on that, which I thought was really well done. I thought it, it, I really appreciated that because it did, I was thinking, what is the difference between something that feels manufactured candy ass optimism Mm -hmm. and something that feels like, no, this is real encouragement. This is encouragement that feels based in reality, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's that um, truth. It's that truth that you found. It's that's because it is that idea of, choices and actions regardless of whether the situations are you know good or bad in terms of like are you doing well or are you not doing so good and the choices and actions that you take you make on those choices is what who's is what reveals who you are and who we are as as people and 
that's one of the strongest ways that you can connect with characters in film. And at least through my experience and through what, what I've been learning is that, you know, it's one thing to, for a character to say that another character is like this, this is how they are. When it's another thing entirely to have that character in a situation, whether it's, you know, like in Mosley's case, if when, when Simon's whipping him and that kind of stuff, and then what kind of, or even in Simon's case, like the decisions he makes in regards to Mosley and his family that reveals, like you said, maybe a more sympathetic side, but he's still making those choices. Exactly. And those choices reveals like, okay, maybe there's a part of the story that maybe we're, you know, we're, you, those breadcrumbs, we're finding out that story about why he's this way. But regardless of why he's that way, he's still making those choices. Exactly. And, and it is, I've always wondered, haven't you guys wondered that, you know, bullies, when they go to movies and they see bullies in movies, do they think, oh my God, that's me. Do they, do they think that, you know, that's uh, the thing. what, what happens is that when, when we go to movies, that's interesting. They, they, yeah. It, I've thought about this a lot in the sense that people who have jerky personalities, when they go to movies and see a person with a jerky personality, do they go, I hate that guy. He's such a jerk. Or do they think, Oh my God, that's me. And, mm. and I, and the thing is, is that I, I think uh, some of them don't know. And it's a matter of testing. I'm trying to think of, yeah, it's an interesting. anecdotal story. I definitely don't want to get too specific about this, but I've seen <laughs> in my life a couple instances like working with kids where I don't know if the kid uh, was maybe like testing the waters. I think that was probably part of it. Um, just to see like maybe what they were supposed to think about certain things that were happening on the screen. We were showing a film, uh, but it did strike a chord. And I thought like, like what's up with this child? You know, yeah. like mm -hmm. uh, did, you know, are they just testing the waters or are they like, they were laughing at inappropriate moments basically. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it made me think about uh, like empathy and human yeah. development and um, maybe, you know, wonder about things that I, you know, don't know enough about, which, you know, but like development of the human mind and, you know, empathy and where all of that falls into place. And uh, that's something, uh, to, to look up. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there have been papers written on it, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. What I, you know what I think That's is, cool interesting. is that we're, this is an animation podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about the human condition now, right? <laughs> so I think that's more interesting than animation talking about process. We're artists, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're using animation to say things to tell to say things about things we don't we don't make animation to tell to talk about animation it's a vehicle art is a vehicle art is a vehicle to talk about these sort of things exactly and, and i feel like animation ought to be i love it when 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 the medium is just the medium becomes invisible and all you just get the feels right mm -hmm. oh yeah and and, and <laughs> even all art direction everything that's involved, it ought to be moving you toward those sort of abstract sort of right. concepts, uh, because I think it's incredibly appropriate and right uh, for animators to be talking about these sort of issues, like right. when a bully goes to a movie and sees a bully, does he think, oh my God, that's me? 
right. we're, 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 these are great questions for animators to ask. And right. For, for yeah, and, and that's what animators do though, right? It's about breaking down, um, you're breaking down emotion, you're breaking down action. Um, it's all really part of the process. Um, you know, I, I always, you know, we, we always sort of fight for more of an education about animation for everyone <laughs> because I think people want to know the process and they should learn more, you know, about it. Um, but yeah, for, for, for animators, I think that this is all sort of, um, it's like part of the study, right? You study mm. acting, you break down live action films, the uh, reference material is about, you know, why someone does think does things and the inner monologue and all of that stuff um and, and then acting it out too like we were like we talked about right. the acting itself like especially like if you're really trying to get a good character performance you you know you get in front of that mirror and you're like okay time to get in that character's shoes and okay how would i act if this was happening to me if this event that i'm now going to be animating this character's reaction to you know and then you kind of look for those more of those physical cues of your own acting and then exactly and what and then, how that resonates with you and then you project that onto the screen right. when you animate the character exactly yeah, sec for why, seconds at a time <laughs> yeah. exactly and, and why do it in animation as opposed to doing it live action and the the answer to that at least from my point of view mm -hmm. is that animation has to do with caricature and people always assume caricature has to do with comedy you know you draw you draw a picture of your friend and you give him big ears because he has big ears, but, but it's not, and it does, a caricature can have to do with comedy, but it can also do with drama. But the point of caricature is to, it's like coffee, right? You can have a Folgers or you can <laughs> have espresso, right? You're, yep. you're, you're distilling a moment to its, and, mi and minimalizing it to its essence, right? Yep. And so that's the reason why we animate things is that there's some there's some things that in animation is that uh, even whether it's emotional or whether it's comic, you're distilling that moment down to its essence because that is that you've chosen artistically that that's the best way to communicate that thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so in in that regard, that's the that's the choice as animators. We are study we study the human condition as it works its way physically through the body. Mm -hmm. and, and we use that as a, as a means to tell stories and to make people feel things. Yeah, the clear silhouette of the human condition. <laughs> exactly. that's, that's completely right. And, 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 there's, and I love it when we, can, when we can take, when we can break it down that much because people talk about the what is it the mint call head waggle and and, and oh yeah 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 <laughs> right it's it's like there's yeah. the there's the uh people talk about particular animators and they're mimicking what they've seen other but the right. best animators are the ones that go you know my uncle carl does this thing with his head mm -hmm. and i'm gonna make my character do that thing with his head and nobody's ever seen that before and it's like oh my yeah. god look at that it just it just reeks of personality and uh, and that's that's when an animator is really getting into his art right there is when he starts referencing from what he's seeing and what he's observing in the world and he brings that into his art. That's when it's at its best. Right. And then you're creating moments that people can relate to. And that's when, um, you know, art is like has its own onion skin layers. <laughs> that's right. um, and, and that's the difference between something that's just, you know, 
exists, something that instead that you focus on or can relate to. Yeah. 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 That's something. <laughs> no, I, this has been a fantastic This has been really great. I hope I hadn't dug, dug around rooted around too much here on this thing no no no, no. this has been fan freaking tastic i love awesome. this i love every second of this i just want to make sure that before we start wrapping things up for uh for the day if we did want to get in any spoiler territory specifically about the film or do you want to just leave that for for people to I discover we were, for themselves i think we were good at like hitting points without giving too much away and giving enough to like make people want to watch the film I'd say I, right. I, I'd have to agree. If, if Kirby, do you have an uh, opinion one way or the other? I, I feel good about it. If you, uh, if after you've seen the film, I know it's not. I know it's currently only available uh, streaming uh, the in Australia, New Zealand, and through festivals. But the festivals are pretty much over now. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, the I'll, I'll promise you this: that the movie is coming. <laughs> and that uh, that if you have got a chance to see it, uh, it it is coming. If you can just hang on, and uh, and then after you've seen it, if you if uh, I do have uh, a, a little uh, uh, section in my webpage that answers because people have people who have seen it have had a whole lot of questions about what happens next. Or I saw this thing and I wasn't sure what did that mean something and. And mm -hmm. so I've answered some of those questions on 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 the web page if anybody after they see the film wants to sort of dip into that so mm -hmm. yeah that's great and also the um the making of behind the scenes segments are really really nice and the um uh section uh the interview with you and, and with your daughter uh Leah yeah is really perfect too it's great that there you have uh some of the footage of her as a as a child uh on there as well adorable also did is she getting into filmmaking herself i was just curious about she that. she is getting her can you believe this she is getting she is currently working on her master's degree at the university of oregon and oh, in cool. classics so she, yeah so she is uh uh yeah i think she pretty much uh had her fill of the uh of show business uh, <laughs> with this thing so she 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 is very much she she is a great communicator a great teacher and she's she's one of the smartest people i've ever known and so she's going to be a fantastic humanities professor one day so just look out for that Wonderful. But, absolutely uh, yeah but no she 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 is not uh she's a natural born storyteller but she is not going to make a vocation of the, out of that. So. Well, it sounds like she kind of has, though. I mean, you're I right. Yeah, you know, right. honestly, yeah. I mean, it's the you know, this is what we're talking about is you know also about mythology, right? Right. right. <laughs> Storytelling she, has many facets. She will yes. be a she will be a lecturer that will blow people's minds when she when she starts up. So, yeah. All right, <laughs> and we'll make sure to leave uh, links to the your website as well as. Um, the you know link to that video the behind the scenes video um in our show notes for this for this episode of the podcast so if anyone who's curious to check those out um can take a look at them and uh probably and if when as soon as we get any uh information that is uh, allowed to be released about what's going to be coming up next for mosley we would be happy to feature that on uh, on the web on the website if you'd like i'll let you know for sure yeah absolutely nice that would be great okay Thank you. Once again, um, I think we're just going to close out this episode. Um, we like to kind of uh, talk about, um, you know, if we want to, like, like I said, find out more information about the film, 
Um, we'll just go ahead and leave that link for the uh, the website. Um, Kirby, do you have any uh, social media accounts if you want people to like see what you're up to? Like, I'm just just I know we we do that for ourselves here at the podcast, but just in case you have one something you want to share more about what you're up to yeah, now, just Kir- KirbyAtkins.com. Okay. Uh, and they could everything anybody wants to see is there. I really appreciate it, guys. I appreciate you getting in the weeds with me on this. It's been a yes. great Sunday to do this with you guys. So <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure fun. having you, Kirby. All right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, guys. Yeah, everyone, please, if you want to, like, again, stay tuned for updates on animationforadults.com for any future news about uh, Mosley or in other uh, productions that we're going to be talking about. We're uh, hoping that we'll be able to get some more interviews and uh, discussions about some upcoming animated films soon. Uh, again, please follow the website as well as our various uh, social media, which we'll have links all to below. And stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye! I haven't really woken up until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. So much to explore at Total Wine and More. Pinot Noirs, Grigio's, Champagnes, and Chardonnays, plus more than 2,500 beers and bourbon barrel-aged. Tequila, rum, scotch, and gin, vermouth that's extra dry. Hard seltzers and single malt, so many for you to try. Now offering delivery in select markets. See details at TotalWine.com slash delivery. Drink responsibly, be 21.